Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Now, what a morning. Preaching, my whole family's here, and I get to baptize Rachel. What a, what a guest. Just to look out and see so many amazing, uh, amazing friends. For those that don't know me, I'm Brad Rhodes. I'm the uh, pastor of marriage here at Pleasant Valley Church, and um, just love, love serving here. And for you that are single, and it's Marriage Sunday, and you're thinking, why did I come? I wish I hadn't come. In fact, I had somebody saw me after service and said, if I would known you were preaching, I wouldn't have come. Well, thank you. But then she explained that I'm not married, and I thought it was going to be all about marriage, and she said, but it wasn't, and I'm thankful I came. So we're going to start the sermon off by playing a video, and some of you've seen it, some of you haven't, but it kind of illustrates what can happen in marriage and relationships. So if you could dim the lights and play the video, I'd appreciate it. Take a step for every dinner you didn't eat together at the table this week. If either of you would say that work hours or work stress can be a barrier to enjoying time in marriage, take four steps forward. If you feel like your marriage has fallen into a bit of a rut, The cell phone is a distraction in your relationship. Did you go to bed at different times any night this week? Feel like life has gotten hectic and a bit overwhelming? Do either of you take your cell phone to bed at night? Did you go on an intentional scheduled date this week? Life is managing you more than you're managing your own life. Okay, you can both turn around. When you see the distance, uh, what one word comes to your mind? Alone, because we're really separated, really far apart. Sad. Sad? Why is that? Life. Uh, Challenge. All right, let's get closer, whatever we got to do. Sad, because I want to be close to him. Doesn't seem like we would be, like the distance would be there, but. Look like a tunnel. A long tunnel seems so far away and so small. You really don't think about how far apart you are with all of the things that life throws at you until you quantify it in a moment like this. Would either of you like to get together and put together a strategy so that cell phones are not a distraction or relationship at all? Take two steps forward. Would either of you like to put together a vision for your marriage and get on the same page and work toward it? 
would either of you like to grow in both praying together and praying for each other? Would either of you like a better atmosphere in the home that's full of grace and peace? Would either of you like to learn to say no to some things so that you can be together as a family more often? I do quite a bit of pastoral crisis counseling and what you just watched is what I see over and over and over. Two pretty good-willed people, life slowly gets the better of them. They end up further and further apart. And the next thing you know, one of them doesn't want to be married anymore who has made a really bad decision. There was a couple in our church who I got their permission to kind of share their story and um, they came in, you know, when they, you come in and they're sitting way apart from one another, they won't look at each other, bad sign. <laughs> but very common, very common. But they just felt like, you know, we live in the same home, but we're just isolated from one another. She felt like, why would I even be married if it's just like I'm single? He doesn't talk to me, he doesn't share with me, I don't talk to him, he does his thing, I do my thing. What is the point? So she left him. At obligation, they said, well, we'll go meet, you know, we'll do, we'll do counseling, you know, because that's what every good person does before they get a divorce. And then in counseling, something miraculous happens. So I asked him, tell me how you're doing. And I just really dug in. I'm a lawyer, so I've kind of asked questions for a living for a long time. And um, he said, I'm depressed. And I said, what do you mean depressed? And he just opened up and just shared how miserable he was, how sad he was, how isolated he was, everything else. And as she listened to him talk, you could see her kind of teared up. And her judgment turned into compassion. And she moved her chair closer to him, looked at him and just laid her hand on his leg. and was like, oh my, I had no idea. And then she shared how she was doing and she wasn't doing well either. And it was like a miraculous reconnection. They reconciled right then, have been married ever since, and now have one of the absolute best marriages in this entire church. But what happened? She was authentic. She was vulnerable. He was authentic. He was vulnerable. Separation became connection and reconciliation, and God got glory. God did not intend us to live alone. Think of Jesus. He lived his life with 12 frustrating people. You know, like my two keys, what have y'all been doing? Are we just been fighting over who gets to sit on your right hand when we die? Okay. You know, but they were messed up. But Jesus lived in community with him his entire ministry. Why? Because it's not good for us to be alone. Look in the book of Genesis. Up until Genesis 2.18, God said everything he made was good. The light, the land, the seas, vegetation, trees, animals, birds. He said it's all good. And then he looked at everything and created, and he said, no, this is, this is very good. But then in Genesis 2.18, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. 
I'll make a helper fit for him. So everything was good, but it wasn't good for man to be alone, and it's not good for you to be alone. To love and to be loved, we have to be in relationship with one another. How do people know we're believers? By our love. You can't love unless you're in deep relationship. C.S. Lewis said, God is love has no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not loved. Now, what this passage doesn't say, it's not good for man not to be married. It doesn't say that. In fact, Paul makes the case in the New Testament that in some respects, you're better off single. And Scripture says, if you're married, you will have many troubles. How many of you are married and have had many troubles in your marriage? Everybody in here. And if you're not, if you didn't raise your hand, you probably got married this weekend. <laughs> we, had, we haven't had troubles in the last two days. We had troubles last week. But the point of the passage is, it's good for us to be together. How many of you like this better than virtual church? How many of your kids did well with virtual church? They're quieter in here. I remember um, showing up at our, do y'all remember our first outdoor service? How many of y'all were here for that? How did it feel to pull up and see everybody? I remember I didn't, I wasn't ready for it. I pulled up and I saw you guys. I remember Brian Mason. I saw Brian, I said, I hadn't seen Brian in eight months. I just teared up. I wasn't even ready. I didn't realize what a negative impact isolation it had on me. How many of you had the privilege of going to a basketball or football game in the age of 15% attendance? This is the UK Vandy game, a game in which we won with the virtual band and the virtual dance team. And it was the most miserable experience. We scored a touchdown. It was as if we did not score a touchdown. Fast forward two years later. This, 65,000 people. Abby, you look older now. <laughs> Abby loves that. <laughs> but it was a blast. And why was it a blast? We were together. God created man to do life together. So if it's not good for man to be alone, what does Satan want for you? He wants you to be alone. He wants you to be separate. And why does he want you to be a separate? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Animals. They run in packs. Why do they stay in packs? They're less vulnerable to attack. What do predators look for? One isolated from the pack. Why? Because I can kill it. What does Satan look for? One of you isolated from the pack. What marriages does he look for? Coexistent, functional marriages that don't have real connection. You're not sharing your heart. You're not coming together physically. You're not close. You are alone in your own home. So like that couple I mentioned earlier, he just swoops in and says, wow, this is a, this is a nice little target. I'll come kill it. 
Scientific studies show why God says it's not good to be alone. Research has linked social isolation and loneliness to high risk of virtually every mental and physical problem. The CDC and the American Psychological Association show that social isolation was associated with a 50% increased risk of dementia, 29% increase in risk of heart disease, and 32% increase in risk of stroke. Dr. Lundstad said a lack of social connection heightens health risk as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or as much as having an alcohol disorder. And loneliness and social isolation are twice as harmful as physical and mental health as obesity. And loneliness, it's now an epidemic. We've got these things called cell phones that hypothetically keep us together, but in reality keep us apart. We've got this thing called social media that hypothetically connects us to the world, but in reality leaves us lonely, disconnected. So now we're at a level where the CDC says 36% feel lonely frequently or almost all or all of the time. And it's almost the worst in our young or population. 18 to 25-year-olds report 61% isolation and feeling lonely. 63% of young people, 18 to 25, say, I've got substantial depression or substantial anxiety. So if Satan wants to isolate us in our marriages and our lives, how do we stay connected? We have to be real. We have to be authentic and vulnerable with one another. Proximity to people does not mean you're not alone. Being married does not mean you're not alone. I know a lot of lonely people that are married. And what's the scriptures tell us? In James, share your sins with one another and pray for one another so you won't be healed. Sin, struggle, and pain, it thrives in the darkness but most won't share the embarrassing stuff about them. Scripture exalts humility, and humility has the same root as the word humiliation. We don't like to just say, you know, I'm drinking too much. You know, I'm in a fight with my wife and everything else. You know when we find out our church that a marriage is struggling at all? It's when they come in and say we're about to get divorced. Because for some reason, we're more interested in looking good than being real. So instead of striving to look strong, striving to look like you can handle it, we need to strive to be real with our lives and weaknesses. Mike Mason puts it this way, for we're opaque, solid creatures. We resist being transparent. And yet that is what love asks for, transparency. Studies show the health of a marriage largely depends on how well you really know one another. Does your spouse know when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're excited, when you're down? All the day-to-day stuff, it protects your marriage. And the interesting thing about isolation is what's worse for us is what we want the most. What's Proverbs 18 say? Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. How many of y'all, don't raise your hands, but has experienced some anxiety, some depression, and deep sadness? 
And when that happens, what do you want? I just want to be left alone. What is the worst thing for you is what you want the most. Two years ago, I had a big deal with anxiety myself, and now those that say it's bad, I, I get it a little more. <laughs> and um, I couldn't sleep. I'd be up till 4 a.m. in the morning. It's miserable. I felt like I was going crazy. I was watching Madam Secretary from 2 to 4 a.m. every night, which not a good rhythm for you. But I didn't tell anybody. Marilyn knew it. But when I come to church and stuff, as far as anybody knows, it's fine. I just wasn't being open with people. And then I had lunch with Brandon Swanner. And he had me, we went to Panera. And he started asking me questions. And he wouldn't let me just give him the old hanging in there. Doing all right. It's tough. But he kept asking me questions. And after about 40 minutes, he goes, dude, you need counseling. <laughs> and then I thought, I said, man, if somebody told me what I just told Brand, then I'd tell them they need counseling. But I, I didn't want to go to lunch with people. I didn't want to reach out. But I needed it. And I got some counsel. And it was helpful. Realize it's natural, normal, and easy not to healthily share emotions, especially difficult ones. Especially when things are hard. We've had a hard month. One of my best friends died kind of in front of me. I had to do the funeral. We've had a lot going on at work. Matthew gave me the gift of nine screws and uh, one plate where his foot was perpendicular to his leg. You're working stressed. You got to call, Dad, my ankles broke real bad. Meet me at the ER. <laughs> That's the call. And he was right. It was broken real bad. But instead of like really processing through it with Marilyn what it was to lose one of my good friends, dealing with the stress of being in the ER with Matt, all that stuff, I just kind of internalized and just kind of kept going. And the next thing you know, my heart's just racing and I'm sweating and I'm thinking maybe I need a Snickers. <laughs> so, but when I finally shared with Marilyn, honestly, I'm not doing well. I started doing better. And when I finally shared I'm not doing well, we started doing better because authenticity and vulnerability are healing. Not sharing will destroy you. And if you've got sadness, anxiety, depression, difficult times handling life, you're normal. Jesus was sad. Jesus wept. Jesus was so miserable and stressed that he sweated tears of blood. It's not easy on this earth. It is a challenge. And if it's hard for you, you are profoundly normal. But if you are avoiding emotions or stuffing emotions, they will ultimately come out. And they'll come out in the form of anger, depression, or anxiety. And you're much better deal with them, accept them, share them, then you are, stuff them, avoid them, and then crash. Crashing's no fun, did it? Don't want to do it again. I'm, I slept last night. It's better. It just is. So Galatians 6.2 tells us, bear one another's burdens. You can't 
Others can't bear your burdens unless you share your burdens. If you're in physical pain, tell people you're in physical pain. If you're in mental pain, tell people you're in mental pain. One thing my counselor told me that was helpful is, he said, when you get anxious, just say out loud, I'm anxious and it's okay. God's in control and you'll be fine. And I can't tell you how much more helpful that was than fighting it and avoiding it. So if you're one of the people like me that have this answer, how you doing? Good. Living the dream. Hanging in there. And during rough times, here's what people say. How are things going? About the same. About the same. Not, no real change. Don't do that. It hurts your relationship. It hurts you. And it can be really dangerous. I know of a guy, tragic story. On the outside, had a good, normal marriage. Good, normal kids. People seemed to like him. Get a phone call that he had left his house and went and killed himself. A lot of stuff was going on. Tried to deal with it. Finally got to a point he couldn't deal with it and felt like it's better off if he's not on this earth. And I really believe that if there's vulnerability and transparency, we would still have this good guy on this earth. So one, be authentic and vulnerable. Fight the temptation not to. Two, have relational courage. You got to deal with issues. Unaddressed issues don't go away. They just get bigger and ultimately pound you. So I've seen couples, two good people, both frustrated with one another, neither one of them share with the other, all the way to the point they're divorced. And it would have been as simple as dealing with the issue when it was smaller and they would have never gotten to that point. You don't nag. You don't become critical. But if something sticks with you about the other, deal with it and bring in a third party if necessary. Proverbs 27, 6 say, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And your best friend in the world and your marriage is supposed to be your spouse. So at times you're going to wound one another. Marilyn wounded me this week. So I finished my sermon, 24 pages, Ran it by my team, got the PowerPoint ready, told Josh I'm a week early, which is a miracle if you know me because I'm known for being bad for the staff. And um, so I said, Marilyn, take a look at it. She looks at it, silence. I'm like, uh-oh. So it's too general. I think you need to redo the whole thing. 24 pages. She goes, I did like the first seven pages. I said, well, there's 17 you didn't. But the sermon's better because she was honest. If she wasn't honest, you'd get some general sermon then she'd have told me after it wasn't good. I have a friend who's now in heaven and he would be, he was one of those friends that you can trust you because one time I called him, I was really upset about something. I was complaining a lot and I said, what do you think, Doug? He goes, I think you're spitting in the face of God. I'm like, I don't do that. He said, you got a gorgeous wife, you got a wonderful family, you've got a great job, you've got great family, and all you're doing is whining and complaining all the time. You need to shift it to worship, big boy. Took me a minute to take it, but it's what I needed. So one, be authentic. Two, have relational courage. Three, you got to give grace. Because the closer you get to people, the more messed up you'll realize they are. 
How many of you didn't realize what a messed up individual you married until you got into marriage a little bit? Marilyn. She loved me when we dated. Six months later, I was her least favorite person. We've gotten better since then. But the reality is, most we don't have a lot of long-term friendships. And why don't we? Because if we get closer to one another, we really say, wow, she's kind of jealous. Wow, he never reaches out. Man, he's kind of stingy. Wow, when something great happens, they don't even want to hear it or celebrate with me. So what do we do? We jump to another friend, start getting close, and then as we get real close, whoa, this one's messed up too. And then we don't have deep, long, lifetime friendships. There's one perfect friend. There's one perfect spouse. It's not you and it's not me. Now, I'm not saying stay in toxic relationships that drive you crazy. What I'm saying is give one another grace and grow deep, long-term relationships. Remember, we're under grace, not law. And unless our relationships are put under grace, you will end up separated from one another. So next, help and be helped. We're in an individualistic society. Since the fall, we want to be strong, and that guy or that girl can do it all by myself. Don't help me. I got this. You know, like, I'll carry a television. Do you need any help? Nope. I can get it. You know, I'm down on my back for a week. I don't know, but since we're kids... We want to do it by ourselves. You can watch this little video that illustrates it. Why about yourself? Why about yourself? Can I help? No. I help. I don't. You can help when we're out to eat, okay? You can help when we are out to eat. Okay. Do you have this to see? Probably. You want me to help, Rose? No. Thank you. No, thank you. What do you want me to do? Why about yourself? <laughs> Why about yourself? <laughs> I'll do this one, so I'm uh, going to do that. You drive! <laughs> Why about yourself? Go drive! Go! Yeah. But it's, it's ingrained in us. We have the pride from the time we were born that does not want to need help. Deborah Folletta, a licensed counselor and author, says, we live in a culture that values independence. We're raised to believe that being able to achieve without the need for others is the highest level of power and success. It's that do-it-yourself mentality that seeps into our church and pollutes the way we live our lives. We're really good at putting on a happy face getting through it with an I don't really need anyone attitude when we're oftentimes desperately lonely on the inside. We need one another. We're more successful in life when we bring others into our life. The proverb says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, those that are too individualistic, and it can be me at times, Here's what they say. Well, I'm just a private person. I don't like to share my emotions. I don't like to burden others with my problems. I'd rather do it myself than put someone else out. I'm more of a loner. 
I'm more of an introvert. Then the person doesn't ask for or get help or get prayer. And it's not a personality issue. It's not an introvert-extrovert thing. Yes, introverts need more time alone to recharge, but introverts and extroverts need community equally. Deborah Folletta, the same counselor I talked about earlier, says, God tells us to forget about our independence and consider what it means to live a life of interdependence on one another as the body of Christ, loving each other, caring for each other, comforting one another, and encouraging one another. So when you reach out and help somebody, you're creating community. When you reach out and say, I need some help, you're creating community. When you share your heart, you're creating community. When you listen to somebody else's, you're creating community. And what's God say? It's good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity, both in the home and in the church. So the next one is fight social media and cell phones. Oh my goodness. Cell phones are the absolute worst. I mean, they distract us from deep relationships like few things ever have. You'll be sitting in a room of people you love playing a game. You'll be sitting in a room with people you love with an opportunity to connect and just, I've just got to answer this really quickly. Oh, I just need to post this really fast. No, you don't. All you're doing is impairing your relationship. When you're with somebody, don't be with your phone unless you long for shallow relationship. And if that's what you're shooting for, pull that rascal out. And social media, it's so overrated. People say, well, social media keeps me connected because I like knowing what's going on. Well, it satisfies nosiness and curiosity, but it does not satisfy the soul. And what we need is community where we're deeply into one another's lives, praying for one another, not where we know what's going on in hundreds of people's lives, but then lack real deep connection. And it feeds discontent. You don't see real life on social media. You don't see, well, late at night, just had my fifth beer, struggling. You don't see, been a miserable family vacation. I think our kids hate each other. What you see is this. And then you think, man, I got a terrible family. <laughs> Word. Kids don't get along. They fight. I love what Abby once told me, and I was trying to get him to stop fighting. He said, Dad, you're just going to have to get over it. We're going to fight. <laughs> and it's true. It's, life is messy. Relationship is messy. And when you jump on social media, it can make you feel alone. Great party. You weren't there. Birthday party. Well, I know half those people. <laughs> you weren't invited. Man, this nice family vacation. Well, we can't afford a family vacation. You know, my encouragement would be dial it back and have deep, authentic relationships. Don't spread yourself thin in isolation. So fight the phone. When you're with somebody, give them 100% of you. And it's hard. Because we got a lot of really smart people trying to get us to use the phone all the time. I decided... I was going to take 24 hours off of the phone completely. But then I decided to go to McDonald's. Got to have the McDonald's app. <laughs> I mean, it's the best bargain in town. So, you know, I've, I mean, it's like 
you can't get anywhere, you can't buy anything, you can't do anything unless you got this thing on you. I encourage you to pay a little more and be a little more focused. Because right now, car rides, dates, time with your children, they're impaired. And it's creating isolation. So the last thing I want to touch on about staying connected is be a relational initiator. I hear from a lot of people, nobody calls me. Nobody asks us over to dinner. I'm on the outside. Instead of complaining about people not reaching out to you, reach out to others. There's tremendous need for community. There are millions of lonely, sad people that you can help. Faithful Friends is a great ministry that Marla Todd and Marla Carter do that helps people in nursing homes. And those lonely people in the world are in nursing homes. They go weeks with no visitors at all. So if you're lonely, be the answer. Don't just complain about it being your problem. It'll help you. It will help them. So right now, I just want you to think, who is it that you know might feel isolated, might feel alone, and commit this week, I will see them, I will call them, I'll reach out to them, I'll set a weekly reminder on my phone that they don't go one week without somebody checking in on them. And they'll know that they're loved. Because the evil one's trying to say, you are not loved and nobody gives a rat about you. That God wants us to be, you are loved, and we all give a rat about you. Because that's the way God created us. And think about friendships, too. If you have two or three friends that you share everything with, and they share everything with you, you're unusual, and you're blessed. Because we're in an age of multitude and shallow, not a few deep authentic friendships. So I also want you to think through who are two or three friends that I'll commit to making my whole life available to them and then leave here and make your life available to them. So be a relational initiator. Now recognize in marriage, it's not easy. God created man and woman very different. And it's funny how people tend to marry people, the opposite of them. Savers marry spenders. Talkers marry listeners. Organized people marry slobs. They just do it. I guess we're just impressed by what people have that we don't. But then you get married, it starts getting hard. I love what Ted Cunningham said. He said, in my marriage is tough because our definition of savings is different. He goes, my definition of saving is you put money away for a rainy day. Her definition of savings is the difference between the retail price and what she paid. <laughs> it, it, but God designed marriage to teach us to lay our life down for another person, to love somebody totally different than us. A friend in my law school was single, and he was reflecting on dating. He, it hadn't been going too well for him. And he said, you know, Brad, if, I, if you and I go watch a game. He said, it's easy. It's fun. And when we're done, you pay for your own. He said, when I go on a date, it's awkward. I'm not supposed to look at the television. And when we're finished, I got to pay for both of them. He said, it feels like it's half the fun and twice the price. 
But God designed marriage to help us grow in laying our life down. He did. Not to make us feel special, not to be parasitic where I pull from another, but to be like Jesus and to lay our life down for another person. So whether you're single or whether you're married, please don't live isolated. Please reach out to others. Sign up for a D group. Sign up for a community group. Sign up for a marriage group. As John Piper says, it's more glorious there be a church than a saint. More glorious there be a star team than a star player. More glorious that there be countless colors rather than just gray. More glorious that there be countless smells than just roses. More glorious there be countless textures than just velvet. And more glorious there be multiple ethnicities and not just one. We're better in community. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. If one falls, the other can help him up. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand them, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Hebrews remind us, do not forsake meeting together. You're going to be tempted not to live in a community, not to come to church, not to get into a group, but do it. And if you're married, these three rhythms I want you to commit to. Talk every day and be real and honest. Two, date every week, and it doesn't have to be dinner and a movie. Just spend three to five hours, just the two of you, without another human and without a phone. Three, every 90 days, show up here and work on your marriage with us. We've got a great marriage ministry at Pleasant Valley. It is full, but we just got a new facilitator. We have room for about 20 new couples. Every 90 days, you get together and you have a platform to connect, plan your quarter together, celebrate wins, address issues. It's about the cost of a date. And I'll promise you, it'll be the most meaningful dates you have all year. If you know anybody that's getting married, we have an amazing premarital process with Rob and Karen Pierce. This is going to need to be an outreach tool. You know, anybody that's getting married, get them into our premarital. So if you want to sign up for a marriage group or a D group, there's a table out back and out, well, out front and out back. And there's a QR code in your bulletin. But we love you here at Pleasant Valley. We want God to be glorified by how well we love one another, how close we are. I'm proud of this church because I look around and I see new, many marriages that I've talked to that have struggled and are now doing great because they did the hard work to fight, to get back together and not fail. So if it's you, now I'm not talking about abuse or infidelity, but if it's you and you're having a hard time in your marriage, Come talk to us. We will help you. Don't fail. I'm so thankful for this body. I long for this trend of isolation, this epidemic of loneliness to change where we live in community. Because if they see deep, close relationships here, the world will be drawn to this place. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for this church. Thank you for this amazing morning. Thank you for the privilege of baptizing Rachel. Thank you for my amazing family that's made it so my whole life I've never been alone. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for conviction on being more authentic. 
Lord, uh, bless this worship, bless this body. And if anybody is here that is alone, give them the courage to reach out and have everybody in this body reach out this week to somebody who is. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.